This is Space for Our Planet, the podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Dina Deckmann, a researcher at the Max Planck Institute for Animal Behaviour in Germany. Dina explains how she uses space to study bat migrations and why this is so important for all of us. I'm Dina Dechmann. I'm a group leader at the Max Planck Institute for Animal Behavior in Radovtel, Germany. And my group focuses mainly on shrews and bats. And we study ephemeral resource adaptations, that is, adaptations of these animals to fluctuations in resource and food availability over short and long-term periods. And I study this in Germany around our institute, but also in several different continents especially in Africa and Central America. I'm interested in animal migration because it is an extremely risky thing to do for an animal. The animal has to move into an unknown landscape or at least a landscape that it hasn't encountered since it last migrated, which means it has to find a place to rest. It has to find food. It's exposed to different predation risks every day, basically. So the, the, the motivation to migrate has to be very strong. And in bats, this is actually evidenced by the fact that out of more than 1,400 species of bats, only a very small handful have developed migration as a strategy. And especially the bats that I study in Africa, which are a large fruit bat species, they are the only African fruit bat actually the only fruit bat that does a seasonal long distance migration. And this is why I'm so curious why they are doing it and where they are going. It's important to track migrations in high resolution and detail because most of the knowledge we have about most migrating animals are from ringing studies or just observations at different points along their migration routes. In bats, for example, these are ringing studies where a bat was banded somewhere and then it's recaptured somewhere else. We don't even know if this is the end point of their migration. And we know nothing about what they do in between and what triggers the decision to start migrating and each migration step, how this is connected to weather or to local food landscapes or to their migration at their reproductive cycle. So for this, we also need higher resolution data. In the past decades, the only way we were able to track migration in small animals was with satellite transmitters, where a satellite looks for a tag that's on an animal, and that is connected to very high errors, up to hundreds of kilometers. And if we are so interested in the risks animals are locally exposed to, or the food they eat, and, and how long they stop over and so on, then we need to actually be able to pin it down to the tree that they spent the day on, in the case of the fruit bats, for example. So we need really high levels of accuracy to really understand the migration and the risks and costs and benefits involved in it. The greatest challenge that we have faced in the study of migration, and I've been trying to track the migration of this particular fruit bat for a long time, like since 2008, I guess. The greatest challenge is the tracking devices. So anything that uses GPS uses a lot of power and that thus needs a certain battery size. 
And we have a rule in the bat world that we don't put more than 5% of the animal's body mass as added weight with the transmitter. So that really limits us in a, in a bat species like these flying foxes that can be as light as 180 grams. That means that's a nine gram tag and that doesn't last very long. And even if we put such a nine gram tag on these animals, we would then still have to recapture them normally because a download link that is active during large amounts of times so that we can download if we are close enough to the animal without recapturing it also uses a lot of power. So power limitations are, have been our main problem for a long time. And this is true for all small animal tracking, not just bats. But in bats, we have the added problem that they are nocturnal. And most of the small GPS tags that do somehow download from a distance if someone is on the ground and nearby are powered with solar panels. So then the next step forward, and this again right now is only for fruit bats where the Icarus tags where which uh, are solar powered but the solar panels were developed with fruit bats in mind from the very beginning on so they can charge with partial um, irradiation or being exposed to the sun from an angle and they can still charge that was the one thing that was necessary and the other thing that was necessary was to have a very good programming schedule that would limit the amount of time that a tag would be looking for satellites. So yes, that kind of solved two of the problems. And we can use GPS technology instead of satellite technology. And the advantage of that is that a GPS logger is the device that's looking for satellites. And there's a threshold that we set to say, only if you have contact to so and so many satellites, say, say three or four, then you log your own position onto yourself. And this increases the accuracy enormously. And then the, the Icarus tags, and that's the, the last really important part that they incorporate. The Icarus tag then sends the information to the ISS when it passes over. And that way we can get the information without having to recapture the tag. For us, it is so important to track the migration in detail to really understand what drives the migration and how. We are pretty sure it's resource availability and we are actually also using information from space for that by using satellite imaging to look at the greenness of the landscape, which is a proxy for food availability and to see how these bats ride the so-called green wave, and we find that they probably do. In the African fruit bats, what comes added to that is that, on the one hand, they're arguably the most numerous mammal of Africa. They are very, very common. They live in huge colonies of sometimes millions of animals, often in the middle of cities, which we don't understand at all. But on the other hand, they're under a huge amount of threat. Everybody knows that people talk about bats only in the context of disease at the moment. And this bat in particular is being looked at that over and over and over, although nobody really ever finds any disease in them, just evidence of past contact with disease. And so, yes, people are cutting down their roost trees. They're chasing them away actively. They're killing them. In many countries, they're also hunting them a lot to eat. And so we see the numbers going down everywhere. And we are very worried because we feel like it's an animal like the passenger pigeon in the US where 
There were also a lot of them, and people were hunting them, thinking, yeah, we have enough of them, there's lots of them. But when they dropped below a certain population level, all of a sudden, all of them were gone. And this is called an alley effect, and we are worried of something similar in the flying foxes. And this is not only bad because they're a cute bat species, but because they are a keystone species for the ecosystems in Africa. They are extremely important pollinators and seed dispersers, but maybe the most important one, because there are not many animals that eat fruit and then will leave the forest cover. Gazelles, monkeys, birds, most of them will always stay in the protection of the forest to be safe from predation. But these flying foxes cover open landscapes, deforested landscapes, and they keep seeds in their gut for a long time and then defecate during flight, which is also something other animals don't do. And so we have been able to show that they are actually probably the most important species for reforesting clear-cut areas and for transporting seeds, contributing to gene flow in the African landscapes. So if these flying foxes are ever gone, it will be because of us. And I think that will be catastrophic for Africa. So my message to everybody listening would be that please don't see bats as the enemy. Every animal can transmit disease, including ourselves. I think we are our worst disease transmitters. And this is also true for bats. And of course, bats can cover large distances and thus maybe carry disease quite far. It is also, though, very strongly emerging that bats have excellent immune systems and they can deal with disease very, very well. And they do not often reproduce and shed virus so it can be transmitted to other animals. This is probably an extremely short time period, if at all, when a bat comes into contact with disease and they hardly ever die from disease. So for me, bats are more a model for understanding how to deal with disease than a reason to be afraid. I think anyone who is careful in personal interaction with bats is never in any danger from them. So please remember how good they are for us, rather than whether you need to be scared of them or not. Space for Our Planet is a podcast produced by Tim Cat, with support from the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs. We're also supported by the European Commission, DG DEFIS, the European Space Agency, the French Space Agency, CNES, NERUS, the network of European regions using space technologies, and the Canadian NGO, GIVE.